Hello and welcome to the podcast. Acknowledge them, remember them. My name is Paula. This podcast is a place for parents to remember their babies and to talk openly and safely about them. Each episode I will speak with a parent about their baby who has gone too soon through miscarriage, stillbirth, neonatal death, termination for medical reasons or other reasons. Before I start, I need to say a word of thanks to Anchor FM for hosting this podcast. Anchor FM is a free mobile app that allows you to record, edit and publish your podcast all from your phone and all for free. They have a wealth of knowledge and support so that you can get the best from your podcast. They will publish and promote your podcast on the usual streaming services, including Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker Audio, Apple Podcasts, and a whole host of others, all for free and all from your phone. In this episode, I speak with Celine, who is mum to Izzy. Izzy was born at 33 weeks gestation on the 29th of December, 2020. Not only does Celine, John, Izzy's dad, and the extended family have to deal with Izzy's passing, but they have had to navigate this road all through COVID restrictions, lockdowns, and limited supportive resources. Hi, Celine, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Polly. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no, thank you very much for uh, trusting me with Izzy's story. So, um, you're Izzy's mum. Uh, I am. When, whenever you're ready, I would love to hear all about little Izzy. Please. Yeah. So, we um, we found out that we were pregnant with Izzy in, I would say, kind of early to mid-June last year. It was just after our first wedding anniversary. We have been we've been together a good few years, and we already have a little boy who is his name's Harry. He was due to turn four in August last year, so we it took us actually quite a while to get pregnant with Izzy. So when we did find out that we were pregnant, we were over the moon. We literally couldn't wait to tell anybody. But it was obviously in the middle of a pandemic, so we had to be kind of careful with, like, we we weren't seeing anybody, no one was seeing us. Um, my niece has had a baby that year, so I knew what she had gone through. My sister-in-law was literally due her baby in the July, so we knew, we, we kind of had known what was going to come ahead of us with restrictions and stuff with appointments and everything, but we were just over the moon, absolutely over the moon. So we we booked an early scan and um we got it done in one of those private places, I think it's like Ultra Scan, I think mm. it's called. Um I think I was eight and a half weeks pregnant then. Um we went to get that done. Everything showed up perfect. They were like, Oh you're bang on with your dates, everything so we literally ran out of the scan place because it was the only place and we knew it was the only time that John would actually, John is my husband, who he would be able to see a scan of Izzy. Um, so we literally ran out of the place, ran straight to my mum's house to tell them we couldn't wait, bursting with the news. Everybody was delighted. They were 
I was delighted that Harry was going to be a big brother and just general, like, the excitement was off the chart, really, for everybody. Um, and we waited, actually, a week or so for to tell John's family, was it just after his sister had had the baby? Because we didn't want to take the shine off her having her baby. So, like, it was hor- that was her moment. We were like, no, we don't want to be bursting in, like, oh, we're pregnant now, just before or just after she had her baby. So we waited then. But um, it was, everything was fine. Everything was going grand. I I felt fine. I felt, I felt tired, but I put, I like, put it down to you get, you're a bit older this time around. And um, Harry was, obviously I didn't have a toddler the first time or a four-year-old to run around after, get ready for school or anything. Um, so you're, you're tired anyway. Yeah. But, um, I remember going in for my first booking. My booking appointment was actually in my local, like my health centre, yeah. because when I was pregnant on Harry, I did the domino scheme. So I was like, that was midwife led care. Yeah. Um, so I had opted to try and do that again. Um, so I went in, so I think I was just about 12 weeks, I went in for the appointment, everything was grand. Um, but during the appointment then, the girl had said to me, oh, I can see you've had you a little boy, yeah. They said, you had an emergency section on him. And I said, I did. It was um, very last minute. Um, he was two weeks overdue. Um, they noticed his heart rate was, I think, I think it dropped mm. very quickly then. And then it was all very frantic and all, you know, it was just straight down section to get him out and everything. So they they had decided then that I couldn't do the domino care, that I would have to go into the hospital into every for every appointment then. But uh, So I was sort of really raging then because I knew I'd have to go to all of them on my own mm. because of COVID. And then I'd have to drive all the way in there all the time for all of them. And I know the, your, your normal like antenatal appointments are like, maximum five, ten minutes, you're in the door, they check your urine, you're in, you're out. But everyone kept saying to me, oh, be grand, because you'll be in the in the hospital and then, like, you can get a little scam when you're in there. So, like, you don't get that when you're in the midwife-led yeah. care. So I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose that, that is better. You can kind of get, you'll get a little scan, you'll be able to see every time. So yeah. um, I went then for the 12-week scan on my own. That one I wasn't really nervous about because it had only been about four weeks since we had the early scan. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew, like, not that I knew, like, I was like, oh, sure. We went only, only recently, everything will be fine. We went, So we went for the 12-week one. Everything was fine. Um, it was great. We got all our pictures and everything. So I ran out to the car park to tell John. I was like, oh, like, our dates are, are grand, so... Uh, baby will be due 16th of February and we were like great so like we were telling everybody at this stage then it was that we were due a baby then and actually I was quite big my bump was quite big already at uh, 12 weeks mm. completely different from what I was with Harry early on so you usually in your second pregnancy you, you tend to be bigger and quicker <laughs> They do, and because and I, oh yeah, I kept questioning it because when I every time I went in for my appointments, 
although it was consultant-led care that I seen, I never actually seen my actual consultant mm. at any of the appointments. It was a different one every time. Um, and I kept questioning, it was actually all oh, men, that's the only thing I remember from that. And uh, I remember going to them, like, my bump is really big, like, are you sure that's all, are you sure that's right all the time and all And They were just like, no, it's just the way you're carrying, it's just just because it's your second baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the baby is the right size, everything is grand. So, um, like, as you're panicking, I was like, oh my God, is it going to be a massive baby? Like, and then, you know, the way people love to comment on how big and how massive you are all the time when you're pregnant for you to start to question it. But um, I, I like, my pregnancy in general was, was okay. I had, like, I, the, the usual tiredness, restless leg, heartburn, like, everything that you expect to come along with pregnancy. Mm. Like, and... Um, I mean, it, it became kind of a running joke kind of with my husband where he was like, I'm taking notes of everything that you're giving out about. He said, because this will never make you want to be pregnant ever again. <laughs> he said, you're like, I can't sleep. I can't do this. Um, I'm out of breath. Like, loads of stuff that I was giving out about all the time. But, yeah. but he was like, this will make you never want to be pregnant ever again. <laughs> but... um. We, I got just so just before me my twenty week scan. I I think I was actually about twenty two weeks. I was really nervous, really nervous about it, and I think it was because we were still in fairly bad restrictions at this mm. stage as well. So there was like there was no hope of John being able to come in with me to to see or anything. Now he stayed out in the car, all right, but he like there was there was it was just. I was terrified yeah. one night. I was like, I think because you've been there already, it's your second time. You, like, I, I was very naive when I was pregnant the first time. I just thought, you know, oh, you're pregnant and everything is grand and, mm-hmm. like, everything worked out, like, in the end. But I knew, like, I was like, God, there's always a danger. You'll go into your 20-week scan, they'll say something to you, you know, they'll find something. So I was really terrified. Yeah. But I remember the, I remember the actual scan being, very quick, my 22-week scan, and I remember the the girl who was doing the scan. She she wasn't very talkative, but I, like I wasn't really expecting her to be. Like she had a job to do. She was, and she kept saying to me, "You need to turn onto your side because of where the ba- baby was and everything." She was like, "Oh, your baby's just a little bit low down." I was like, "Grand." Um, she asked about movement and I was like, I didn't feel an awful lot of movement and there, she said to me, your baby's actually breached and I had been told this up until this so they were like, that's probably why you're not feeling an awful lot of movement is um, from where your placenta is so you like I wasn't getting the really big kicks or anything or um, even even into my mid-20 weeks. I still didn't really, only really at night time when I'd lie down, you feel a good few kicks yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, there was there was no other, no other warning signs for us or anything. Um, we got to Christmas anyway, and it was Christmas Day. We, it was my, I decided that this year I was make. Christmas dinner for my mom and dad to give my mom her first Christmas off in years yeah. and we had them over here and it was great great day for them and then because obviously I wasn't drinking I was able to shop them home then and everything and everybody really enjoyed the day 
And I can remember sitting at the at the table just before they went home to have and feeling the baby really move around my stomach, but like it was like rolling at the top. And I was like, mm. oh my God, like it's really uncomfortable. Like that, that was like a kick. And then didn't think any more of it. And then about half 10 or 11 then that night, then just before we go to bed, I was getting pains in my stomach. And like, I, I said, like, I, I just have a pain in my stomach. I think it's been standing too long today or whatever. I was like, I'm going to go up to bed. So I went to bed and then I woke up during the night with, real, with sharp pain in my stomach, which kind of felt, like that felt more to me like I need to go to the toilet. I was like, oh God, like it was like a cramp in my stomach. Yeah. But then, then that, it was gone. It like it came kind of nearly as quick as well. Like I, I was able to fall back asleep. So I was like, all right, something to be concerned about. Um, and then Stephen's day, we got up and Harry was playing around and my sister-in-law came out and my, our nephew, we hadn't seen them on Christmas Day. And I happened to say to her, I was like, oh, you think I felt the baby move this morning? So they were kind of feeling my stomach and then they were like, oh, it kind of feels like something's moving there. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm imagining it. Maybe it's just in my head or, um, and then... She went home and after about an hour, I just said, and I said, I don't know, I just don't really feel right. Like, so I did the usual orange juice, lay on my side, kind of like waiting for something to happen. And, and I still couldn't feel anything. So I rang the hospital and I said to them, I, don't, I just don't think, I think I have a bit of reduced movement or... I don't think I felt the baby moving a bit. So they said, come on down, we'll, we'll sure we'll have a look anyway and um, it'll be grand or whatever. So I said to my husband, look, I'm just going to fly down to the hospital, they said, just for them to scan me, sure, like just to make sure everything is, is all right. Not like in a million years thinking anything was going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And I actually dropped him and Harry over to his mum's because they were going for dinner there on Stephen's day. And I was like, sure, I'll be back. Like, you know, it won't be that long. There'll be nobody in the hospital. So I got into the coom. It was empty. Like, it was like the ghost town. Straight in to the reception area. And I remember even the girl who I said to, she said to me, oh, are you here for? And I said, oh, I said, I just think I need to be assessed. I said, I'm there for due. I can't really felt the baby move. I don't know where it's reduced movement. And she even was kind of making a joke saying, oh, maybe we've just overindulged on Christmas and you just can't feel anything. I was like, oh, God. And she was like, maybe the baby's in food coma and, you know, <laughs> kind of laughing and joking. And she said to me, you, you go on up there and I'll send your chart up. Um, so I got into the assessment unit, there was no one there. And one of the girls came in and advised she was lovely. And she tried to put the trace on me. Mm. And um, she was like, uh, oh, what is it? it's just in a bit of a weird position. And she was like, I'll just I'll just try and get um, uh, an ultrasound machine, she said, rather than trace. But she said, maybe because you're only 33 weeks, we won't be able to see it properly. And she was like, don't be worrying now or anything. And I was like, I, I, I like at this stage, you're like full mask on and everything. And I, I hadn't been worrying. And I was like, oh, well, now I am. Yeah. And she disappeared and she came back with two 
two girls where so there's three of them and the ultrasound machine and you could kind of see this woman kind of hovering in the background who I later knew was a consultant and they turned the machine on but they didn't turn the sound on and they turned it away from me so it couldn't face me so I was I was like back and she put it over and she she wasn't even really that long so then trying to find a heartbeat and then the consultant just stepped in she said I'll just have a little look there and then I could just I could kind of feel like oh what's going on here now why is she coming in so she came in she put the scanner back on my stomach and I remember just looking at my hands because I had worn my hands on my stomach and I can remember her going to take my hand mm. and I remember thinking why is she taking my hand so I grabbed my hand back and I was like what, what are you doing like, and like they obviously were all had full gear on them and gloves on and, and she just said I'm so sorry Celine um, there's no herpes and I I literally, like, I, I, I just couldn't believe it, like, the disbelief. I was like, what? No. I was like, no, no, no. And then I cried, but I was, you know, when you think you can hear yourself crying, but it just felt silent. It felt like the room was silent. There were so many of them. And then I turned on my side, and all I could hear was someone saying to me, you need to breathe, lady, you need to breathe. So I had gone into, like, a panic attack. So I was nearly like hanging off the side of the bed, and I kept saying to them, "No, you're, you have to be right. Like, you're, you're wrong. Like, this this can't be happening." And she like the consultant was so lovely. She was like, "I'm just really sorry, Celine." And I was like, "How can how how did this happen? How like how 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 was all I kept shouting at them then?" And then they said, "Is your husband in the car park?" And I was like, "No, he's not in the car park." And I was then I started to lose them. I was like, "He's at home because." no one's allowed in here anyway so the midwife one of the girls then said um, we need we need to go and ring him and so she left but she didn't say what she was going to say to him or anything and then they just they sat me up and they, I, I said can I take my mask off and they were like absolutely go on um, and the consultant said to me she said I'm really sorry Slinger, but I need to bring you to a different room, a different scanning room, because this was like the pre-labor ward. They needed to bring me to like a proper scanning machine. So she um, she brought me down there, and then like in a complete daze, flicked on the scanning machine. The room went dark, and on she mentioned something about color and tubes or something. And then she said to me. She just sat me back up and she said, look, I'm really sorry. She said, I, I just needed to do it because I needed to to see how long, how long ago did she think that there had been no heartbeat? And she said to me, there's nothing obvious there. That I can't see a cord wrapped anywhere. And then so she said, it looks to me like it was a matter of hours ago. Just like literally hours. Um. But at this stage, I, I didn't take, I wasn't taking any of the same. I was like, I just want to get up back upstairs and I want to see what husband and all. Um, so when we got, they were like, we need to bring you back up to the, the assessment ward, brought me back in there. And then they said, your husband is on his way. And she said, I didn't tell him, Celine. I just told him that he needed to get here. So they left me for a couple of seconds. They were saying, look, we need... He, 
you, you need to get some tea and she has gone into complete shock. They were like, the colour of me was gone and I wasn't crying then anymore at this stage. I was just silently like staring at the floor. I was like, I don't really know what to do here. And I text, I text, I stupidly text my husband just saying, or like, I, just, I think I just said, oh, John or something. And, and he said he was, the, he was in the car park when he got that message. So he actually got up to the doors of the, uh, they had said to him that you don't even have to talk to anybody at the reception area, just come straight up to there. So he knew there was something wrong then. And um, he, he just gave his name and the security guard was like, off you go, the stairs. He came in and as soon as the double doors opened, like he just crumbled and then I just crumbled and Everybody listening to their noises, no one knew what to do really. They kind of just pulled the curtains around us. And he, like, he just kept, he was, I just kept saying, I'm sorry, over and over again. He was like, why are you sorry? And then he just kept saying, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. Like, we're, like, we're nearly there. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the end game here. This doesn't happen. Like, um, and they came back in and they were like, look, we're really sorry we have to talk about all this stuff with you. It was like, you need to come back within 48 hours or or you needed to take this this tablet, which was basically stop my pregnancy hormone. And then I needed to be back in the hospital within 48 hours or I could choose to stay there. And I was like, no, I don't want to be here 48 hours. I want to go home to Harry. It was Stevens' day. It was supposed to be Christmasy, happy stuff. And um, I was like, we want to go home. And they said, right, you just take this topic. They gave you this like purple end of life card. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a leaflet for a bereavement to his wife to say, you need to ring them tomorrow as well, like set something up with them. And basically told to be back there. So this is on the Saturday, to be back there for half three on the Monday. And you're kind of not ushered out, but it was real. Like you know, there's nothing else we can really do here. So kind of off you go. Like, but we wanted to go anyway. Like we didn't want to sit in the hospital. But um, Harry at this stage was in John. They were probably kind of like didn't want people hanging around with COVID. And not nothing you had. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was like they were like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're not in labour, and there's nothing we can do, so you need to just go. Exactly, that's exactly what it was. And as lovely as they were and all, but you knew that that was like, I mean, obviously I know COVID is a priority. Well, I was a priority, like at this stage as well, but we couldn't wait to get out anyway. But I, we got down the bottom of the stairs anyway and jumped on said he needed to use the bathroom. So I said, I better ring my mum because I told her I was going to come into the hospital just to get checked and, you know, everything was grand and everything. And I rang her and I just, I actually haven't really spoken about this this much because this, this, is the, this is the main thing that breaks my heart. Sorry, no. No, no, it's grand. It's, um, it's, he, I, I remember ringing my mom and just saying, mom, and she was like, oh, so happy you don't do this. And I was like, no, mom, like, it's, the baby is gone. And, she repeated back the words, the baby is dead to me. And then you could hear her tell him somebody in the background. You could just hear a wail. And I just remember, like, 
sobbing and her sobbing and then John came out and he was sobbing and I, I later found out that it was actually my dad that had made that noise. They thought it was my sister. Um, they were like just in complete disbelief. Like, uh, it's you know, it's where it's one of those things of where like, you're going to sleep at night and it's one of those memories that pop into your head and you're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to think about that now because I want to sleep. Like, I'm traumatized by it. Like, um, the, then we went out to the car and we had to ring John's mom who had Harry in the house and at this stage my car was in the kiln and now John has taken someone else's car and taken his dad's car so we were already taking one car home Um, I asked him to drop me home before he went to collect Harry because I was like I don't, I don't want to see anybody I didn't, I didn't want to go into his house or his mom's house so he went he dropped me home He, I came in here and crumbled and I had texted my 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 friends, like of my best friends, and straight away both of them rang me, and they were absolutely like uh, devastated. Like, and they were like, "Will we come around?" And I was like, "No, it's fine. We're fine." I was like, "I'm just waiting for John to come home with Harry. I just want to see Harry." The stage was about six o'clock, half six, and then she he came home anyway with Harry. Um, he came in and we were kind of playing with Harry for a little bit then and then literally as soon as Harry went to bed we just fell apart again the two of us and we were like what do we do and then I think John's mum and dad came over and they came over and they were they were asking questions like talking about funerals and stuff like that and we were like we don't know like what happens here like that like we were in complete shock of like do we have a funeral? Do we have to do this? Like, what what happens from, like, where do we go from here? So it was quite late anyway that night. And I left a voicemail for the bereavement midwife um, because I, I couldn't get through to her, obviously. And then I think Sunday she was actually off. So no one got back to us actually until the morning we were going into the hospital which was fine because we kind of had a bit of an idea then but all day on the Sunday we saw many people coming like from our families like coming to see us like my sisters and John's sisters and John's mom dad and then like our best friends around the corner from us so they came and people were they were so good and coming in and like chatting to Harry and just asked us like what did we need and all and we we just kept saying we don't we don't know we don't know what we need like we don't know what what we're doing here and then my my sister and John's sister got together and they had gone over to Cliffy Valley and had bought because at this stage we didn't know whether Izzy was a boy or a girl we never we never found out with Harry so we were like we never wanted to find out with Izzy and they went and bought us um, a memory box, a, a child's memory box, or so baby one, to put stuff into. And in it then was like premature baby grows for like boys and girls with little cardigans and hats and booties and stuff um, to, to dress the baby in when they were born because we were like, we. We didn't have anything that was remotely small. We, I had done all of my bags at the hospital and everything. They were all upstairs, but nothing was going to fit. Thirty-three week old baby, um, 
And I, I remember the bag being in, and I was sitting home until Harry had gone to bed, and myself and John kind of going like, "Do, do we open it? Like, do, do you want to open it and see what's in it? Like, I, I don't, I, we didn't know what to do." And then we were like, "Well, we obviously have to start thinking about, you know, what will we bury her, bury her in, and um, do we want to have a blanket and that?" And then we just had it, but we kept falling apart thinking about things. So that we were like, "How is this a conversation that we're having?" Like, when two days ago. Like my like the baby was kicking away, everything was grand, and now we're we're talking about burying your child, like um, the opening that memory box and the the baby grows and stuff was really tough. Um, and then trying to pack the bag, we like we both at that stage kind of went into robot mode of like, right, this is what we need to do. We need to get Harry sorted and we need to get bags packed to the hospital because they had said John could be with me the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so COVID rules went out the window when, so terrible, when you, when you had the purple card, yeah. when you were, were you, when you were at the end of life symbol in your hand, you could do whatever you wanted yeah. in the hospital. Like you could come and go as you please, it didn't matter. Um, so he could be with me. So he had to pack a bag then as well. And then we were packed stuff for Harry. And then we brought him over to my mum's. She was going to take him. So we brought him over on the Monday Monday morning. And I remember getting into my mum's on the Monday. And Harry goes straight for my dad all the time. He's his best friend. And he's flying around playing with him. And I went into the kitchen. And my mum went to hug me. And I, I just burst out into tears and I said, how am I supposed to do this? How do I give birth to my baby knowing that they're not going to live? And normally my mom is real strong, but she um, she broke down. She was like, you you can do this. She was like, you just need to to focus. And she was like, you really, you can do this. She said, it, it, you're like me. She kept saying, you're like me. We're, we're strong ones. We can do it you know, you'll plow through till the end and you you can do it. So I was like, right, I'll pull myself together. And I was like, I kind of started thinking that way then of, you know, well, there's no, no way around this. Like, I can't avoid this. <laughs> I have to go. I have to go and do this. Like, um, but we couldn't say goodbye to Harry because he would want to come with us. So we had to run out of the house to two of us. And then that broke our hearts. We got into the car and we burst into tears from like running from him. And we were like, you wanted him with you all the time, but also you didn't. So we got to the hospital. Um, I have to say the, the, the midwives on the ward and everything like and the chaplain um are fantastic they couldn't have done any more for us they really couldn't have like they brought us down to the this was like a couple of private rooms at the end of the ward it's obviously a specific ward for different sorts of women's problems mm-hmm. so you're nowhere near crying babies anyway mm-hmm. And there's a lot of women who have gone through this as well, and they've been on a ward with yeah, and the room next to and the, the, the babies, and you're like, 
<laughs> it would be devastating. Like you hear a lot, like obviously because is in maternity hospital. This whole floor, I think, is for like like the likes of ectopic pregnancies and like testing for women and things like that. So like it it, it it's done really really well now. I I like I've to hand it to them. And then outside your door has the purple sign and all, so that like people know when they're coming into your room. So from the catering to the clean and anybody that you're in pain, you're you're either grieving or you're you're in the process of going to give birth to your child that's not going to survive or has already passed away. So um, the the group brought straight into the room. The midwife came straight in and. She explained everything that was going to happen and she was explaining to me that I could own, they were going to induce me by using the, like the tablet pessary, but that they could only use half a dosage of me because I'd had emergency section, something to do with your scar tissue so that it could take a lot longer. And in the hospital, I was in complete yes, no mode. Yeah, everything is fine. Grant, yeah, nodding to everything. And my husband was completely opposite. He just, he kept breaking down all the time. And they kept saying, like, you're, you're, you're very strong, Celine. You're very, you're taking this a lot better than a lot of other women would. And all that. And I, I just kept saying, well, like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do here. Like, I need, I need to, get, to give birth. So, I know I was really like, you know, can we just speed this up kind of like like I don't know, I had that weird weird feeling that it was just like I just need this over and done with now, thank you. Like, um so it actually in fairness, it worked pretty quick when they induced me, I went into labour fairly quickly. And they had said to me, You can have any sort of pain relief and you could have um your paracetamol drip, which I did have first <laughs> at the start. Um, and then they couldn't give me pethidine, the, the full dosage of pethidine either because of my um, section either. So it was a tablet form of pethidine, but it was like, I don't, to me, it didn't do anything for the pain, but like I felt like I was just really like drunk. The whole time, I was like, I can't. My mom said she'd rang me at one stage and she said it was like I'd forgotten everything that was going to happen and this, why I was in hospital and everything. She said, like, it was just your way it's very, like, um, but they had mentioned an epidural, but they had said to me I would need to go to the delivery suite. And I just kept saying to John every time they left the room, I can't go to the delivery suite because I'll hear babies and, like, I don't want that. Like, so I kept saying, I can't get an epidural because, like, no, because I have to leave this room and I'll just go down there. And this went on anyway for a couple of hours and I tried the gas and air and um, I I think it was about half 11 or 11 o'clock that night then and I was, I was in agony then. And the nighttime midwife had come in and she said, no, she came up, got the consultant to check me because at this stage, Baby's no longer a priority. You are. So they don't want you in pain. They didn't want you to be going through all of this pain because there was no happy ending for us. Yeah, it wasn't like... Exactly. Yeah. Like, so where you do hear all the time, oh, the pain will be worth it and this will be worth it. There, was not go- there wasn't going to be a happy ending for us. So 
she came in and he, the consultant said, we're about seven centimetres, we'll get you down to uh, the delivery suite, we're trying an epidural grant. The midwife literally ran with me in a wheelchair and had John running after us now because she was like, "You need, we need to get down quick, we need to get there. And I remember getting into the delivery suite and it being really quiet. I remember thinking, oh God, it must be just because, you know, it's around Christmas and I don't know, it was a quiet time or whatever. But we were actually down in a completely different part of the, the delivery suite. So had I have known that I was going to be well away from anybody giving birth to a live baby, I would have got that epidural at the start. <laughs> like, it was... It was so. It was almost like you were down like the COVID end because there was nobody there. It was like a ghost town, and I got in there like literally rolling around in pain and like my husband doesn't get annoyed with anything ever. He's he's real passive. He's like he'll just go along with anything. And they were all having this chat at the end of the bed, and I was like, raw. I couldn't even get up onto the bed. I was in so much pain, and he just went, Oh my god! Like, he was like. Fuck, show it at the top of his voice, like for them to look at me. And they were like, okay, so let me get you to sign this form. And the usual, you're getting your epidural and you're signing your life away. And you're like, just please make this pain stop. So I literally signed the form and they went to turn me over and my water spoke. And then she literally, the then? no, she literally just said to me, you, do, you don't have time for this now. She just looked out and she was like, "No, you don't have time, Celine. You need to push. You need to. You need to do this right now." Like, um. So, I say it was about. It was actually only about two, three pushes, and Izzy was born. And they had kept saying to me while I was pushing, and not, "Do you want? Do you want to know what the baby is?" And we were like, "Yes, of course." Well, obviously, because there are some people who don't want to know. And then they said, "Do you want to hold her?" And we were like, "Yeah." I hold the baby and we said, yeah. So there were two, three pushes. She came out and then obviously there's that weirdness of like the silence in the room. And they just said to us, it's a girl. And my husband just crumbled. Because, not because we had terrible, like, I don't know whether, like, it's just people want the boy and the girl or like, I, I don't know, like, we... We didn't, we, we had no preference all the time I was pregnant, but I think it was just the fact that she was a girl then. And we both just crumbled, absolutely crumbled. Like, like I, I don't even think, like, I don't even think I could breathe for those couple of minutes. So they took her straight away and they, they put her in like a blue blanket and put a hat on her head and they gave her to us. And she was perfect, absolutely perfect. Like, her face, everything about her was like, and her hands and her fingers were so long and everything. Like we just, we just couldn't believe it. Then, like you're, we were in disbelief. Like they just, that like the, the midwife's not consent. She's so, she's so beautiful, and she was absolute image of Harry when he was born, and she um. Oh, she, she was so, so beautiful, so gorgeous. And the midwife asked me, did I want to dress her? And I was terrified. I was like, God, no, like, I, I, I can't do that. I was afraid I was going to break her, which was, was a weird thing to say. Like, I was like, oh, I just can't do it. Because they had said about her skin being 
that it might not be like like it could pull very easily because she was thirty three weeks and um she'd been then probably a day and a half with like no heartbeat or two days so they were like she was getting kind of starts to shrivel up or so they she the the girl took her back she was lovely she she then dressed her and weighed her and everything and she was four pounds six when she was born um so she would have been quite big I presume if she'd have gone full term and I straight away asked her I was like is there anything that you, anything obvious here like that you can see and the midwife said, the only thing I can see, she said, is her cord is very short, quite short. Um, and we were like, oh, like, but she never elaborated on that. That was the end of that, that, that story then. And then you could see everything getting bagged up to, to go to um, to be tested. Like, so literally everything, like every, like, stitch of, like, um, I had to get a stitch then and everything so everything that the consultant was using was being put into a bag to go off to get tested for infections and stuff like the amount of blood tests that you get done um, after it but we they left us actually in the delivery suite for a few minutes and it, it this goes out awful they gave us the, the, the tea and toast that everyone else talks about after having a baby and I never got the tea and toast after I had Harry because I had a section and it was quite late at night and they kept telling me, you know, I couldn't eat because I needed to wait. And I always remember feeling really hard to by. And then after easy then, they kept flying in with this tea and toast like straight away. And I just said, this is not what I want. Like, I didn't want the tea and toast now, like, of all times. Like, you wanted it at a happy time and I wanted to be able to think like, oh, like, oh I got that tea and toast. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. But uh, they left us there anyway for a couple of minutes and then they brought in her cuddle cot and they said they'd bring us back up to our room then. So we got brought back up again and um, in fairness, they, they if, if we wanted to stay in that hospital for weeks, they would have left us there. It was they couldn't have been nicer and the chaplain and Freeman's his wife came in the next day and uh, they explained everything to us like uh, we went through the memory box from Thalicon and all that stuff and then the chaplain went through uh, the funeral arrangements and what we would need to do and not to do and then because of, because of COVID as well um, no one could come to the hospital to see us or to see Izzy at all. Um, but the chaplain made arrangements. She, she like, I could not praise this one more. She is wonderful. She made arrangements to bring Izzy over to, they have small, like, mortuary chapel mm. in the kiln, and she brought her over there, and our families could come for a half an hour each. So John's family and then my family, the day she was born, so it was on the 29th because she was born at like half 12 at night. Um, they could come for half an hour to see her um, and to hold her. Like, um, like because we were terrified to hold her the first couple of hours and uh, reading the chaplain had come in and she was like, you know, you can pick her up whenever you want tonight. And I was like, 
I was like afraid of going to break her and like I, I didn't know we I was just afraid but once I picked her up then and then once you started kissing her face and feeling her skin then you just couldn't stop then you just didn't want to put her down but um it was actually so lovely to have like to be able to let our families come in for that time to see her and to hold her um and a lot of people say oh. it's weird when you say, like, take photographs, because obviously I think I've about 100 photographs on my phone of yeah. the, the couple of days in the hospital with Tide. Yeah. And that's all you have. And, like, yeah. it's the same photograph over and over again, yeah? But, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all you have, so at least you kind of go, well, there's a photograph with her, with her, her grandparents and with her aunties. And yeah. And she's like, so... Because we had, um, I remember the midwife coming in the morning, she was born, really young girl, and she was like, let me take a couple of photos there and we'll take ones of you. And I was like, oh, all right. And she was like, look, you're, you'll be really glad you did this. And then she was like, okay, you put your hand here and you do this. So she posed us for a good few of them and all. And I've actually never been more grateful that she did it now because they're, they're gorgeous photos. They're beautiful photos. Like, and like we we have some up around our house and all now, like a go few over actually already and uh they're they're lovely photos. So I'm glad that they say things like this, you like take the photos, do all of that. But we were also glad in a way that we did get the time on our own in the hospital with Izzy that there was there was no interruptions, there was no visitors coming in or out. It was just solidly myself and John and Izzy the whole time. Yeah. Um, but then so her funeral was actually on New Year's Eve and it was my poor nephew's 21st birthday I just I felt so devastated for him <laughs> that it was on his birthday and I like I just kept saying I'm so sorry to him I texted him all that morning but I remember waking up on New Year's Eve and it snowed a little bit of snow at home in Dublin and um, we were burying Izzy up in Bonabrina, which is kind of up the mountain kind of side near like it kind of hellfire kind of side of Dublin. Um, so we knew it was going to be kind of snowy up there then as well. So we... My two friends actually came down to see Izzy then that morning before we left the hospital. And John's dad collected us and John brought her coffin to the car on his lap and everything. And like it was just the most devastating thing of closing that coffin and taking blankets and stuff for her. My, my sister had gotten a beautiful woman made with her name and the date. And um, that she was born, so she we wrapped her in that before we closed. But they, like we, it's lovely that they let you do all of this yourself. Then that you can say you're a boy yourself, and you get to close the coffin. Like we, we got to literally put the screws in, and then and we're trying enough to go and bring it. It's really sunny, even though it snowed and like. When we got up to Mount Brina, it was obviously freezing <laughs> because of where it is on a, a mountain. 
and we hadn't actually we'd only really said to our families that we were this is the day we were burying her but obviously COVID and at whatever time and when we got up there the car park was absolutely wrapped with our friends and families all completely spread out like as in in like their groups yeah because everybody was like they just couldn't let us they couldn't not be there and it was that was the most touching thing <laughs> that they had all done like I mean it was a high to COVID and you know, fairness everybody was in face masks and everything but it was we were just blown away by that just to see so many people mm. and then we got there and they the grave diggers had gotten the time wrong of the funeral. So the chaplain uh, from the hospital was at the stage she was going mental because they hadn't got Izzy's grave dug. And um, in Bonabrini they have their the angel plot. So it's, it's just all for all babies. So John decided he would wait in the car. So I kind of got out and I was all business, kind of, you know, half challenged people, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, I'm grand, this, that, like, just chatting away, and we were there going hour waiting on them to take the grave for her, and then I remember the chaplain, the chaplain had said to everybody, do not under any circumstances, no one is to pay that grave digger, they got the time wrong, we had the email, it was supposed to be 12, they said it was 2, it wasn't more your over, but me and John were completely oblivious to it. We were like, John didn't want to car. He was like, he just wanted them extra few moments with Izzy. So she, I remember we got up to the graveside then, and there was one in the road that Izzy is buried in. There was one with a grave there. Um, and then Izzy's was like, kind of like two graves down. And they just said to John, do you, do you want to put her in? And... He was, like everyone was so shocked by the rock. I was like, he's he's never got to get in there. But he did. He got he got in, and he placed her down into the grave, and then his dad helped him back out. And then they just like really just said the chaplain just said a few words, and then he played our wedding song, which is really strange because now we're like, God, now we can never listen to the song again. But it's very appropriate. It's a Delorento song, mm-hmm. and um, we played that at the graveside, and then uh, everybody who was there uh, had roses, single roses, I don't know where they all got them from. They all obviously had this planned, no one told us, and put them in. But we, I just, obviously, we just sobbed and sobbed for ages there. But, and then John's dad had said a few words, and it was just... it. It was very surreal. Like, he just kind of... And then all I remember thinking after the funeral had ended was I just wanted to come home and see Harry. I was like, I just dying to see Harry. My brother-in-law had had him at this stage because he was the only person that he would stay with outside of my mom and dad. And um, I remember getting home and literally, like, nearly waiting at the door for him to, to pull up, like, just to see him, just to see his little face because you were, you were like... You need you needed something. You needed something that was gonna put a smile on your face. Um 
that did for a couple of hours, but as soon as he went to bed, we fell apart again. We just balled and balled. But like, it's the, the small things that you didn't think of in the days in the hostel that you were like having to ring my sister and tell her to rid my house of every baby item that we had bought. No, not just throw them out, obviously, but just to get them out of our sight. We were like, please, just get rid of them. We need them gone. We can't look at anything like that. Cans and buggies that you had, we had bought and paid for only to be collected. Like, or trying to get, uh, we got a cross made for Izzy's grave and um, a wooden one and the undertaker's uh, funeral home wouldn't let me pay them for it then and the guy hand delivered it to me on the same day that I asked him for it came up and he like he he, he just blew me away I was like I can't believe you're doing this like for, for free like I was like please say something he was like I absolutely couldn't I take anything off you he was like I am so sorry he said that you're going through this it's just awful and just like I remember going up to put the cross in because like, they couldn't wait to do that because they were like we wanted to mark her grave mm. that the grave that was like two away from Izzy the one, like the only other grave in the row was another little girl called Isabel mm. and we were like god that's so strange like it was such a coincidence and mm. it's just every time you go to the grave now um, you, you're you're nearly praying that like you're so Isabel and Izzy were the only two there mm. by, at the 2nd second, second or 3rd of January. And there's now, there's one, two, three, four, five, five babies in that row already. And every week you go up, you're, you're, you're like dreading seeing the spray paint on the grass of where they're being told, this is where you should take another baby's grave. Like, you're just... It's it's devastating, and how quickly it it's filling up. Mm. Obviously, like you're not that you have your blinkers on when you're pregnant or anything, and you would have avoided subjects like stillbirth. And but I wish someone had educated me more when I was pregnant, so that it didn't blindside me, and that I wasn't as ignorant to as as I as I was before this, because I completely was. There was, I, I didn't understand any of this. And now you're hearing so many people, oh, oh yeah, that happened to so-and-so. And do you not remember years ago this? And you're like, no, I don't remember any of that. And like, it, it, people are coming out of the woodwork to tell you their stories, but no one wanted to talk about it years ago. Or even a couple of months ago, like, I searched everything after I had Izzy, I, to find something like your podcast to listen to, something that I could relate to. And everything, like we were saying before, is is in the UK. They're different systems. They, they don't have the same hospitals. It's not the same thing. Um, I just couldn't relate to it at all. It, it's like you, you just feel, you do feel more connected to it. Like it's, I've, And the last couple of days I found a lot of people talking a lot more about hearing bad news with scans and stuff because obviously the with the restrictions and everything um, and with the the groups that are doing the protests and the guys that put the ad in the paper and everything. Like, I've 
it even reading those stories was bringing back the bad memories for me of being in the hospital on my own and hearing those awful words that you will never forget for the rest of your life and not even not even that they weren't in the not just in the room with you he was at home because he knew he couldn't come in anyway so like even if he was down the car park he was still too far away from me like you now my husband says he regrets he will regret for the rest of his life not coming to the car park with me on that day and I said to him you still, I still would have been on my own and that wouldn't have been your fault that was never his fault but that no, I was on my own no completely no you went into hospital not in a million years thinking you know you kind of thought I feel a bit unwell but you never in a million years expected to be told no you know yeah so you, you're kind of saying, like, you know, there's no reason for you to come in with me because everything will be fine, like. Yeah, um, you and do. If I was to be taken into premature labour or something like that, sure, it could be hours before baby comes. There'd be plenty of time. Yeah. Before, and, you know, that sort of thing. If you're thinking that's the worst case scenario is, like, a premature yeah. labour or something, like. But that, I suppose that, that that's one of the haunting things for the rest of my life is that, and... I just think that I know there were stages of where they needed restrictions in it, but like to me, I'm like, I will never, never forgive. Yeah. It's not even the government. I think at that stage, it was the maternity hospitals made those decisions themselves. I'll never forgive them for it because it will haunt me for the rest of my life that I was on my own and that there was nothing that either of us could do about it. And yes, when I say this, I go, you're hormonal. I don't mean that in a bad way, but you are, obviously. You're hormonal. Yeah. You know, you're emotional. Um, mm. You know, and you don't need to be hearing things like that on your own. No. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just surreal sometimes. Like, it's, it's 19 weeks, actually, today. Now, since, since Izzy was born. I, I, I was just saying, like, I'm, I don't want to be sounding like cliche at the end, going like, oh, fair play to you, you're so strong and everything, but, like, for it to have happened only 19 weeks ago, like, um, and for you to be able to talk so openly about it, I just think um, it's it's a beautiful tribute to Izzy. Um, Thank you. Well, actually, a lot of people have said it to me. Everyone is say, says that I, I speak. I'm well able to talk about her. I've no problems talking about, and I've no problems talking about what happened. And um, I get up. I get, I get more emotional about the future. I think really where, and that's when I like. But normally that's kind of when I'm at home and you're washing the dishes and something hits you out of nowhere where you're thinking, God, like she should be like sleeping through the night by now, you know, things like that. And you're like that. Those sort of things kind of smack you in the face, and mm. my due date did, and then yeah. my own birthday was closer after that. And so there's things like that. And then I feel awful guilt for Harry because I mean he should he's a, he is a big brother, but he doesn't have a living sibling with him. And I feel so sorry for him. I feel the guilt for him. So I I think maybe half of it is that I just need to be strong for him. I need to mm. give him as much of an as a normal kind of childhood as he as he deserves. He doesn't not that he doesn't deserve he's not me breaking down and crying or like every like I have my moments, I really do. But I just I don't seem to have them when I'm talking about her, which is strange. I'm well able to talk about her. Yeah. He he fully accepted 
like when we told him that Izzy Izzy had been born but she couldn't stay here and she was going to be a star in the sky is what we told him then because we actually got to like as gifts from people uh, stars that are named after her so and we were able to show him them then and then like he just fully accepted that that's just the way life is like it was very much you know he didn't feel injustice of like, well, where's my baby sister? Like, where, where is she? Why isn't she here? It was just, you know, well, she's just gone to be a star in the sky, and that's the way she had to be. Like, for him to have of her. Yes, and it is. Yeah. Look up to the sky and you know say, oh, that's her up there. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of very bittersweet that you're thinking that kind of four or five years of age, um, mm. to have that you know, kind of level of death already impacted. Yeah. But, you know, to just be kind of, yeah, it's it, like to be fine with it. Not saying fine with it, but as in like, you know, obviously he's too young to understand the emotion. Yeah. As such, but just to be like, you know, yeah, that's fine. That's my baby sister up there in the sky. There she is there. That's, that's, mm. star, that's the star shining down on me like. Yeah. Um, and I he'll point pictures of her in the house, like, and he'll say like, Oh, there is a picture of Izzy, and then the day her hand and footprint arrived from Thalicon, the clay ones, yeah. when we shook them out, and I said to him, do you know what these are? And I, I didn't say anything. To me, that's Izzy's hand and foot. And we think it's because now he's figured out the spelling of her name yeah. himself, because <laughs> it's on stuff around now. So he's like, oh, that's Izzy's hand and footprint, and all like, And then just went about his business, like, just, you know, it's fine, and walked off there. And you're like, crack, it's just, how does he know? And like he knows the days of where you need the whole. We're getting there anyway. How it like it's. I not that not that I thought it would be hard. That's that's a really wrong thing to say. It is hard. It's very hard, and it's like very hard to understand that you'll never be the the old you. But my but, but my friends and family have been so amazing in understanding that, which I need to get my head around. That I was nearly trying to to act like the old me around them and I was like no this isn't working they know I'm not the cheery like happy Celine that I was like all the time I'm gonna have times where I'm like zoning out conversations and stuff and, mm-hmm. but they, they, so everybody understands that like I literally I I couldn't ask for better friends and family mm-hmm. we both couldn't with, with everything that we've been through they've just been amazing mm-hmm. they really cool. have you know, kind of in relation to COVID or whatever, because a lot of the support groups that normally would be there, like the the Salacon meetings or the little life mm. meetings, um, they're not running, obviously. No. COVID, and I think they were doing some of them through Zoom. And while it's fantastic, I personally just don't do Zoom as a meeting kind of thing. I just I prefer to be physically there in person to be able to get the benefit of it. Yeah, it's I same. I did do one of the Zoom ones and it was about a month after Izzy and I didn't I didn't love it. Yeah. I, I was like, I don't I'm not really like I not that I wasn't getting the benefit. I don't know, it just it doesn't feel the same over Zoom as it does in person. Yeah. As talking to somebody, it's just not the same. Um it, like I met like they in the person like when you're physically there it's, it's a much more personal yeah intimate yeah, it it's is in a large room it still is very intimate um yeah these meetings and they're just hopefully now with restrictions easing like they will be able to start them up again like um yeah 
properly, like in person. But just I suppose, kind of obviously for like to be given out to the ministers and the powers that be, like you know that you're kind of going like you have to go through this and you don't have any of the bereavement support that you know you should yeah. have and that should be afforded. Yeah. To, like um. That is tough now. It's yeah. things like that were tough and. The oh, actually no, the public helper she came out to visit me and she was fantastic. But then thought I had an infection, so they were like, "You need to go back into the comb," and they begged to take me back into the like bereavement ward to get me checked, but they wouldn't because my mum had COVID. So I had to go and I had to get a COVID test and sit in the car park for two hours. I think it was. This was three no five days after giving birth sitting in the car park of the comb waiting for a result and I went up to get my results from the the nurse who had actually taken my swab was the same nurse who had discharged me from the bereavement ward and had asked me when I was getting swabbed how was my baby doing that I was coming back in and she she kind of double checked double looked at me and she went oh god I'm awful sorry and then I found I found myself going oh no it's fine mm. but then I remember thinking when I was inside no it's not fine you knew you, you like if you, all you need to do is look at that paper in your hands and see that I had stillborn so then I had to go through the the normal emergency department so I sat in the emergency department I say for two hours just crying my eyes out because. There was just pregnant people coming in and out for their um, appointments. Um, two women came in with their newborn babies, like sat down like near you. And all I kept thinking the whole time was, oh my God, I, I'm sick. I, like I have an infection somewhere here now and I just, I don't have a baby to go home to. Like I just don't want to be here. I never wanted to see the hospital ever again. I couldn't wait to get out of it. So like, it was things like that where, like, that was a bad, another bad experience where had there been no COVID restrictions, I would have had my husband there holding my hand telling me, look, it's fine, it's fine. Like, you have me here, it's grand. Well, dead, you're sat alone in an emergency room five days after giving birth to your stillborn baby girl with pregnant people everywhere and no one's bad and I live like. It's just, it was, that was horrific. <laughs> It just totally on top of trauma, on top of trauma, and it really yeah, that's kind of the way it felt. But if it felt like it feels like you know, I, like I'm kind of hanging on here about myself, but I'm sure there's other women. Like I've read two or three stories in the last couple of days of people who have been through things like similar, but yet they're only speaking about them now. And I'm like, they were months ago as well. Like they should have spoke out as well, but. Sure, it's better late than now. As you say, it's like people are starting to talk out about things more. Um, yeah. And even just in relation to the whole taboo subject of miscarriage and stillbirth, and mm. like people hadn't talked about it. It was, you know, obviously 20, 30 years ago, you, you kind of, you didn't see the baby, you forgot about the baby, and that was it, you just went home and got on with your life. Yeah. Whereas, but, yeah. you know, kind of, you're thinking like, even now, it's, it's, it's better. But it's not yeah. at the same time. Like, you know, there still is an awful lot of people that, like, when the subject is brought up, they'll just either walk away or they'll just say nothing or Yeah. They'll 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 scroll. They like your photographs of, you know, yeah. kind of 
say, like for me, they like photographs of my, my living children, but as soon as it's something to do with Tide, it's like, we'll completely ignore that topic there now until she puts up something else that's happy and yeah. light. Because <laughs> it's all down to the circle of friends that you have, and as long as, they, as long as you have the support, which you sound like you have fantastic support around you. Yeah. Um, that is that is the, the, one of the main things. Um, we really do. God, so um, I'm sorry that you find yourself. I'm, so, I'm sorry that I'm actually talking to you, as awful as that sounds. It's lovely to talk to you. I know, to yeah. It was lovely to talk to you, too. Yeah. It really was. I would like to thank Celine for allowing me to share Izzy's story here. If you have been affected by anything in this podcast, please reach out and ask for support. I have listed the names of some of the support organisations in the episode details. Please know you are never alone and we are all here to support each other. I have also set up an Instagram page called Acknowledge Them, Remember Them where I invite people to come along, share their babies, share their stories and any thoughts that they may have. In the next episode, I hope to speak with Emma, who is Bobby's mum.